But yeah, good evening, everybody. My name is Krista Barnes for about five months now, and I have been part of Harbor City for five years. Um, just some things, if you don't know me, that you should know about me. I'm an occupational therapist by day, and I'm married to Luke Barnes, the very handsome guy on the front, yeah? And I actually also really want to go on a hot air balloon, Lisa. So maybe you and I talk about it after the service. We'll, we'll arrange it. We'll leave the guys to talk about books because they both love that. And we'll go and do a hot air balloon. Sorted. Um, and today I have the privilege of preaching as part of the Hereford series. I've really been enjoying this um, series all about the church and I love what Tabani um, preached about where he said the ministry of the pew. I thought that was so good. And just looking at what is my role in all of this? What part do I play in the church family? And the topic I'm going to help us to think about today is the idea of being side by side in church or how to love one another well. And if I call church a family, I realize that probably everyone has a very different idea of what that means. Like Christmas is coming up, um, so maybe you're super excited, big family, dinner, you can't wait. Or maybe you're thinking, oh, I have to see my uncle and talk about Bitcoin for two hours. How am I going to do this? I know we all have very different family backgrounds. Um, I am the youngest, which is really tough. Is anyone else the youngest child Yeah. Hard, eh? Yeah, thank you. I know my brother and sister will probably tell you the opposite. Johanna's shaking her head, oldest child. She's like, no, we're not spoiled to anything. No, it's very tough. But my brother took the role of being my official teaser very seriously, or he still does to this day. And so often, what he would do, I would wake up in the morning, you know, like slowly wake up, birds are chirping, and he would just come like storming into my room yelling, sausage roll, and he would just tuck me in very aggressively like all around, and I'd just be like stuck like this, and then he would just leave, and I'd just be like, hmm, what to do now? So even though my brother did tease me a lot, I know that deep down he really does love me. I, I hope so. I think he does. Today I have um, a video to show you that is also about brotherly love, so hopefully it works. Let's have a look. I was off to act it out, which will be really awkward. Second and third, but then less than 400 meters from the finishing line, unbelievable. Johnny Brownlee would start to find fatigue. He did not know where he was, and something that we've never seen before, Alistair Brownlee would help his brother to the finishing line, Henry Schoeman, could not believe his eyes. He would have himself an ability to get to the finish and win the grand final. The crowd absolutely could not believe what they were seeing. Henry Schumann, the man who had been the bronze medalist at the Olympic Games, would claim the grand final. What an incredible rock star season for Henry Schumann. And as he crossed the line, he would look back and not believe what he was seeing. The two Brownlee brothers trying to make their way to their finishing line with Richard Murray just seconds behind. And Alistair Brownlee would help the younger of the Brownleys in, push him across the line. It would be Johnny second, Alistair third. Uh, yeah, well, I've been in that position before. And uh, when it happened to me in London all those years ago, uh, I remember sprinting away in second place and then being in the position Johnny's in now and coming around and uh, someone telling me I was in 10th. And I was like, how did all them people come past me? So I swore if, uh, literally, if it happened to anyone, if it happened to Henry, I would have helped him across the line. Because to be honest, it's an awful position to be in. If he'd conked out a cave from the finish line there and there isn't the medical support, you know, it's a dangerous position to be in. So whatever, you know, it, you know, obviously the World Series is a big play, but whatever, it's the right thing to do. How epic is that video? When I watched it, I thought immediately, I need to find out more about this Brownlee family. I mean, how amazing. Can you imagine how proud their mom is of that moment? Forget about the Kardashians. I want to definitely join that family. 
And I think this video is such an amazing example of the passage that we're actually going to be reading together today, which is John 13, verses 35. It's going to come up on the screen, but if you have your Bible, maybe open it up because there's so much context that comes before it and after, which I think is really interesting to read. But yeah, John 13, verse 35. It says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Maybe today is your 10th year in church, or maybe it's your first time. If it is, welcome. But I'm sure we've all had very different experiences of church and church people or Christians or this community of um, believers. I know I've definitely had some good and some bad experiences. I've had some good ones. I remember at Varsity, there was a lady, she used to drive about 30 minutes out of her way to pick me up just so we can get to church. I've had been part of many food rosters for new moms and actually recently just Luke and I were incredibly blessed by someone in this church when we really really needed some support so I've really had amazing experiences with church people but I've also had I've kind of I remember there was a time when I wasn't going to church for a while and I came back that day and someone was like oh and where have you been we haven't seen you in a while and I remember thinking oh I don't know if I want to come back here so you often hear that. You often hear that what brought people to church or equally what has kept them away from church is how people have treated them in church. So we can see it is of paramount importance. And this passage in John 13 is one of the many times that Jesus tells us how we should treat each other, that we should love each other well. The New and the Old Testament is full of examples. We should honor one another, forgive one another, bear, bear one another's burdens, lay down our lives for one another. But what I find particularly interesting about this passage is just the context. I kind of want to go more to the beginning of John 13, which is the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. So isn't that amazing? In verse 35, he's going to say to them, love one another. But what does he do first? He leads by example. He actually washes their feet. He is the ultimate example of what love looks like. He's, he does that in absolute humility. And it's so, such a classic Jesus story, this washing of the feet. If you think about it, God loved us so much that he sent his son to humble down, to become a, um, a human on a human level for us. And then this human, who is actually the king of kings, humbles himself even, even further and washes the disciples' feet. I mean, Jesus truly shows us in this moment what it means to serve one another. And then the chapter goes on. After he washes, his, washes their feet, he predicts Judas's betrayal and Simon Peter's denial. I think this was quite profound because Jesus was not ignorant to the sin and the faults of the people whose feet he had just washed. And he's also not ignorant to our sin. He knows. He knows that we are needy, that we would deny him, that we would fail him, and that we aren't perfect. But he loves us anyway. And then after he does this, he actually, he, so he's lavished this love on them. Um, he actually takes all these sinners, this room full of sinners, he surrounds them with each other and he says, now that you're all needy, go and love one another and show this love to the world. On a pause for a moment on this idea of love, I think it can become such a buzzword, we've all heard it, but I recently read in the message translation in, Gal in Galatians, you know where it speaks about the fruits of the Spirit? So instead of love, Eugene Peterson says, true affection. Do we sometimes just act in a false loving way? Are we just polite to each other? Do you just tolerate that difficult person in your life group? Or do you have true affection for each other? The kind of affection that Jesus had for us. 
Jesus is not saying here, be nice to people and compliment their outfits on a Sunday. I think from what we read in John 13, it's a lot more than that. Even non-believers are nice to each other. This love of Jesus that would wash another person's feet, this is groundbreaking stuff. John Piper defines love as the overflow and expansion of joy in God that will gladly meet the needs of others. So it's the overflow and expansion, this absolute joy in God, what happens, it gladly meets of the needs of others around them. One of the most well-known passages on love is probably 1 Corinthians 13. You've probably heard it at multiple weddings, but what's so interesting, it's not actually a passage written for a groom and a bride. It's written for an ordinary conflict-afflicted church that was really battling to love each other. So it tells us what love is. It says love is patient, love is kind. But what I also find interesting in 1 Corinthians 13, we also read about what love is not. So 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 to 3 says, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burnt, but have not love, I gain nothing. If you look at these verses, there's a lot of good things that he's speaking about, like serving people with our gifts. That's a noble pursuit. We should be doing that in the church. But this passage reminds us that if we are serving, but not out of a place of love, we're probably serving ourselves more than anything. We could be more concerned about being needed or looking successful or being productive than we are at truly loving other people. But Paul also says that knowledge is not the ultimate gift. 1 Corinthians 8 says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge is good, but when it is used to comfort, encourage, teach, heal, restore, correct, and love. Verse 3 says, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burnt, but have not love, I gain nothing. This is especially convicting for me because I so often, I think if you maybe looked at my life, you'd say, yeah, she loves people well. I'm often so burnt out because I'm trying to serve people and love people. But I think the reason why I often get so burnt out is because I'm loving out of my own resources and I'm loving for the wrong reasons. And it's hard to admit that to yourself, but to really think, am I loving because I truly want to love this person or does it make me feel really good? And I think sometimes we want to love because we want to appear generous. We want to, be, to feel needed by other people. Or maybe we just want to fit in or you want to have a cause that you support and you can post about it on Instagram. But whenever the roots of our motivation and our generosity are not because of this joy that we have in God that's bubbling out of us, we will give, even give a lot, give everything we have, but we'll gain nothing of significance. Lastly, Paul is saying that not even faith to remove mountains is as important as love. Believing and expecting great things from God alone does not prove that you belong to him. Everyone believes in wanting something from their God. But no one, no one can love like Jesus loved us. And no one can love the way we can love others if we are empowered by his Holy Spirit. So genuine faith is not as concerned about, can I remove mountains, can I do this, but rather it is concerned about knowing and enjoying God and leaning into Him 
and that love will overflow into the needs of others. The reason why I'm saying this is because people don't remember Jesus. He's not written in all those history accounts and known by many other religious because he was kind of a nice guy and he gave his extra helping of dessert away. Jesus was a lot more than that. He loved the unlovely. He loved in extraordinary ways. And it was his love that attracted everyone to him. It was because of the people he was interacting with and what he was saying to them and doing for them. And as his disciples, our love for one another should have the same effect. It should be attracting people to Jesus. Let's read it again, John 13, verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is telling us that people will get to know his character by the way that we treat each other. They will either say, if that's how they treat each other, I want in on that family, or they'll be deterred. Francis Schaeffer has this brilliant quote that says, Biblical Biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world. Our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. Before I started studying, I did a year at Youth with the Mission, and it's a missions organization that has bases all around the world, and you function in a team that has also got people from all over the world. So I had someone from Ukraine, Mauritius, Nigeria, Ghana, we're really a multinational or nations team, different ages, different genders, and it was amazing. I learned so much from people, and I was challenged a lot as well. Um, and this one day, I think it was nearing the end of our time together, we all decided to go to the V&A waterfront together. And as we were just walking along, there was this live band playing, I think it was jazz or something. I don't know how it happened, but we all started dancing just in this public area. It was so great. Sun was setting. And after a while, these random strangers and tourists just started joining us, and we created this little dance party in the middle of the V&A. Um, but eventually, we all needed to go. We all arrived together. We needed to go. So we're kind of like dancing, being like, get out of here, like it's time, and, but other people are just enjoying it so much, you <laughs> let's wrap it up, and eventually this one guy starts one of those Congo trains, you know, and we're all like, okay, we're going to the parking lot, but the tourists are like joining us, and they're coming with us, we're like, no, eventually we just had to say like, sorry, we're actually all here together, we're a group, and they were kind of embarrassed, and we laughed it off, and we went home, but I think in that moment, that really stands out for me is I think it was the joy that we had and the love we had and also the unity in our diversity that actually attracted people to us and made them want to join in. Can you see it is the strange love that people see amongst us that actually brings people to church? Of course, the church needs solid gospel being preached on a Sunday verbally, but it's also up to us, the ministry of the pew, the brotherly love between us that should act like a gravitational force to the gospel. Our love for one another should lead the person who's curious to the conclusion that this love must come from heaven. It's the only way. So this passage says that loving one another has so many benefits. It says it gives glory to God. It says it affects the church itself positively. And it also makes a declaration before a watching world. It is this potent instrument that we have for effective evangelism. It is living proof, the ultimate defense of our faith. It is the greatest evidence we have that we are actually truly following Jesus. 
And I think that if we show this kind of strange love in our church, it will be so different that this love of Jesus, which, is, which we are mirroring, will be so different to the world that it will attract those around us to the life of Jesus. It should set us apart. It should make others want to join in and be part of the family. But just because it is so important and so profound doesn't mean it has to be extremely complicated. It doesn't mean you have to be an expert on day one. So to follow Jesus' command, you've got to do two things. Easy, right? First thing is spend time with God and pray that he will help you increase in love for those around you. Because I'm, what I'm talking about is a supernatural love. So I'm sorry to tell you, but you won't be able to do it. <laughs> You're going to have to go to a supernatural source. The thing is, when we see this perfect love of Jesus and the love that he has called us out to do, the type of love that would wash another person's feet, we'll realize we aren't that loving and that we're going to need his power and his help to actually do this. Your energy for loving someone shouldn't be coming from that person. It should be coming from God. The thing is, actually ironically, probably the more difficult the person is to love, the more you're going to be praying every day, Lord, help me love this person, help me love this person. And then you're in a good position because in an overwhelming situation, when you're all out of human capacity to love, what are you going to do? You're going to have to go to God. And you'll be praying all the time because you just can't get from one moment to the next without God. And you'll lean upon him because you actually can't bear the weight of this love. The second thing is, just do it, <laughs> practice it, try it, just love people. Loving one another is about ordinary people in ordinary ways. It doesn't have to be an extraordinary gifting or an effort. Talk to them, get to know them, be a good listener, start small, love a few people some of the time, and then before you know it, you'll be loving a lot of the people most of the time, and just push through. I know it's awkward maybe in the beginning, and don't wait for the other person to make the first move. Romans 12 verse 10 says, outdo one another in showing honor. And remember, you also don't need to have all the answers and the solutions. That's up to God. What we are supposed to do is walk besides one another, pray for each other, be together in suffering. Colossians 3 also says, bear with one another. We can carry each other burdens. It makes me think of that video with those two brothers. Can't, you can just be side by side, link arms, let's go through this together. We're running a race together. I think a big thing we see in Jesus is also that he loved others out of a place of humility. It's about entering into each other's sufferings. He humbled himself to wash their feet. So when we love each other, let's quiet down. Let's listen. Let's try and really see each other. This love we're talking about is not as selfless and sacrificial. I think often the biggest thing that keeps us from loving each other is that we're just so consumed with ourselves and our own problems and our own needs. Who will meet my needs if I'm meeting this person's needs? But is that not a lack of faith as well? If we are relying on God to meet our needs and to be our provider and we can kind of get, have self-forgetfulness, it'll be way easier to love the other person. And as a church, can we be patient with each other as we're practicing this? Others will not always love you well. They will disappoint you. But can we give our fellow church members grace to make mistakes as well? 
this extraordinary love, this kind of loving one another where you lay down everything that Jesus is talking about, maybe it seems impossible to you or maybe it seems like a fantasy in a broken world or the broken church. But I think the key for this is understanding why are we loving? 1 Peter 1 verse 22 in the message, I love what it says. It says, now that you've cleaned up your lives by following the truth, Love one another as if your lives dependent on it. The NLT says, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Loving others comes from an understanding of the love that we have received. We love one another because our belief in the gospel results in us loving one another and because the gospel we're believing is living and lasting. This gospel is wild. <laughs> Jesus sees us broken, dirty, on the floor, nothing to give, doomed, and he comes and he gets dirty himself. He gets there, goes there with us and he cleans us up and he presents us to God as pure and perfect when we didn't deserve that. That is a wild kind of love. That is a wild gospel that we believe in. And when we encounter this love of Christ, we have to, surely we're gonna be especially sensitive to it because we will know how unlovely we are, how unlovely we were, and we will know and esteem this love of God so highly that we'll be itching to show it to other people. We love because he first loved us. We are all needy and we are all needed in this church. Just like that video, the brother says at the end, I've been there, I know what it's like. We've all been there, we all know what it's like. And we do not love out of a worldly resource because we have all the answers, but out of this amazing wild love of Jesus. Can you imagine a community like this that I'm talking about? A community that would celebrate another person's victory, that would carry each other's burdens, that laughs and cries together, that forgives quickly and creates an atmosphere of grace and mercy, that looks after each other's physical needs, that tries to constantly outserve each other, that creates room for expression of individuality and giftings and passions, that seeks to honor each other with words, that respects each other no matter the person's position in society, that doesn't keep a record of wrongs, that fights for justice on behalf of each other, a community that loves the way that Christ loved us. Who wouldn't wanna say, I wanna be part of that family and I wanna follow that Jesus? My hope today is that you'll realize how much God loves you and that you'll want to give that love to other people. Remember, we don't love others because we want to earn his love. He loved us first. You see, all of us, we are that brother, broken, struggling. We're not gonna make the finish line. But what is Jesus? He's our older brother. He comes alongside us. He runs with us, is with us in the battle. And then right at the end, he pushes us over in his place so that we can get that victory. And it's because of this great love of Jesus that we want to love those around us as well. Maybe tonight you are, you're feeling like that brother, you're so broken, you're so tired, you're at the end of your rope, and you've never, maybe you've never experienced this incredible love of Christ. You don't really have an understanding of what I'm talking about. 
I want you to know that that love is available for you to understand and grasp and take hold of. Jesus is there ready to push you across the finishing line. Maybe you feel like you don't feel part of this family and you want to be part of a family, but you don't know how to make that first move. You're kind of saying, Lord, I want to be loved. You're welcome here too. Or maybe the Spirit right now tonight has convicted you of someone that you might not be loving very well. I want to pray for us for all of those things. And I want you to know that you are so loved by Jesus. He did it all for you. And if we kind of just, um, I have the privilege of standing up here and I'm just looking at everyone. I'm thinking, I wish you could all see each other the way I see you. How we are all a community, we are all a family and we are loved by God and we are called to love each other well. Maybe the band can come up. I don't know where they are. And I'm just going to pray for us. So as I pray for those three groups of people that I mentioned earlier, maybe, yeah, I just also speak to God and say, God, I'm, I'm broken, I'm tired. Or God, I don't understand this great love. Can you please show me what that love looks like? Or maybe you want to pray and say, God, help me to love someone else better. Father God, thank you so much for what you have done for us. Thank you that you would send your son down to us to, to clean us up, to present us before you as perfect and blameless. Lord, what a privilege it is to be in your company, to be part of your family. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us on the cross. Lord, I pray for everyone here who is tired and broken down, who just can't go anymore, who's staggering across the finish line. You know the burdens that they're carrying, and I pray, Lord, that you would pick them up. You would be that little extra push that they need to get across the finishing line. And Lord, I pray for everyone here who feels, am I really lovely enough? Would Jesus really do this for me? I pray, Lord, that you would come and convict them of your great love, that you would just surround them and that they would feel your presence with them right now. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would have a bigger understanding of what this means, what you did for us. And Lord, that we would be able to love one another well. Lord, if there's someone that we are struggling to love and that comes to our mind now, Lord, please help us to do it. We cannot love out of our own resources. We need you.